Hello and welcome back to the Hulkcast. I'm James Rushton. In the absence of the Hulkcast's bad takes ambassador, Danny Riser, it's just me and Cole today. So I guess if everyone will give a warm welcome to the Hulkcast, Tim Horton's ambassador, Cole. <laughs> Is that what I am now? <laughs> yeah, I didn't really have a good way to start the podcast because I'm feeling really under the weather my throat is like razor blades right now so i'm really gonna have to kind of wing it and uh i don't know go with the flow i guess um which isn't really what villa did against manchester city yesterday we went to the etihad stadium it was nil nil until half time and cole as the announcer said as we all heard on our dodgy streams whether it was the zone or mb nbc sports network we heard that uh villa have done well they they you know they, they've locked it down until half time 45 seconds into the second half. Raheem Sterling is through on goal and scores. So, yeah. Yeah, I think they jinxed us. I think that's fair to say. <laughs> yeah, I thought we'd best get that one right out of the way because that joke, that, that kind of line has been in my head for a while. How, you know, I wasn't even watching. I was, I was writing up. I was like, you know, we've done well. We've got it locked on tight. I'll tune in, uh, you know, two minutes after we kick off, see where we are. And I left it on in the background and all I heard is just the celebrations, you know, the, the scoring. And I'm thinking, ah, that was quick. I mean, is that not a replay of another game? Well, like, I literally walked away from my TV at halftime for maybe five minutes, and I had to watch the goal on replay because I missed it because, it, like, it happened so quick, and I I think it gave everyone a false sense of hope because they're kind of bigging us up, the commentator, saying how well we did in the first half and all this kind of stuff. And it, as soon as it goes back to Ederson, he just <laughs> boots it up the field, and it's basically in the net through Sterling. And, yeah, that kind of uh left the whole situation flat and i guess the rest is kind of history from there I, james w- when you look at the game overall before we kind of break down everything does it feel like the game even happened it just felt like it was nothing yeah i think we just ripped the the plaster or the uh the band-aid off if you're in a, a north american listener we, we tore it off and got that match over and done with and it was a nothing match it really doesn't feel like much happened um villa kind of played a 45 minutes of heroically defended um in the second half not so much but we'll we'll go through all of that but yeah it was a nothing match Cole it really feels like Villa didn't play yesterday again it's against an elite team you know if you were listen to your preview with Nico we know this is a, a team which oozes in quality these players mm-hmm. are so much better than Villa's players each one every single one and I mean you say about the weakness in centre-back I think that was brought up it's 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 a nothing thing. Villa can't exploit that. They're, they're not good enough to exploit that, and that's fair enough. Villa at best are a mid-table team. Manchester City at best are you know dining with European elite. So uh, we couldn't touch them, and we didn't make a chance. Nothing match. I think um, again we'll break it down. But yeah, overall, Cole, it doesn't feel like anything happened. And I think you know apart from winning or nicking a point. That's the best case scenario. Yeah, and I think a lot of people have to look at it like this because I think, especially on Twitter, a lot of people said it was a nothing game. And then you, of course, still have the odd person who thought we should have won or something. Um, But we got the six points we needed before this from the two prior matches. uh, And I think we all knew that how big of a task this would be against Man City and then, of course, next week against Liverpool. So with that being said, these are kind of nothing games and uh, just kind of move forward and if we did get anything, essentially, it's just a bonus. Yeah, I think we say nothing games in complete respect to the opposition. They are not nothing opposition, but they are overwhelming opposition. I mean, I'm watching, uh, I was watching Liverpool versus Tottenham early. I'm not sure how the score's progressing, but you just want to see these teams before we play. And you see the clear difference with these elite teams, these top six, these big six teams, is that they make decisions really quickly. When they're attacking, things happen that, you know, they are planning two or three moves ahead, whereas Villa get the ball forward and it's a standstill. They don't know what to do. And we're not saying our players are bad. It's just you can see the difference in these elite caliber players is that they can create these decisions, they can create these actions and they can make decisions really quickly. And then they can respond to another thing that's happening. It, it happens so quick and they are such intelligent footballers. And again, not saying our players are stupid, they're thick, they're not good enough. It's just the complete difference between, I guess, the world class and the uh, the Premier League class call. Oh, exactly. It's just one. Of the, yeah, we spend a lot of money, so people can. I've, people will probably look at that and said, "Oh, we spent over a hundred million pounds." So uh, that's that. That excuse is just rubbish. But the, you have to look at it from this perspective too. We have a team still, even after this amount of games, that 
could still be molding and blending together. And we didn't buy the quality that Manchester City have. I mean, Jesus, like they have two squads, maybe three squads that could probably finish in the top 10. Like their depth is absolutely ridiculous. Um, Let's break the game down now, because I think it's crucial to look at certain things, especially that I thought in the first half that we did right. Um, And I think even though it's a 3-0 loss, there are a lot of positives. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure how to say his name now because uh, Mark Chirobe, or Mark Chibroni, as I'm calling him now, um, he, he he messaged me after the last episode about how I pronounce Will Bear. Oh, yeah, I saw Which that. is Will Bear. <laughs> and I'm not sure how to take it because he's American and their pronunciations of things are wrong, like genuinely wrong. And I'm not saying that because, you know, I'm just, just for banter reasons, like Versailles, there's a, you know, there's a town called Versailles which is Versailles in America, and it's not, it's Versailles. So I don't trust any French pronunciation that's coming in from Americans. But yeah, I'll take his word for it. He listens, he watches a lot of ice hockey, which has a lot of Canadian influence, <laughs> a lot of French-Canadian influence, Cole. And I think he said it was Gilbert, uh, which is... I don't think I that's don't right either, because... Gilbert? Okay, so if I'm going to do a little bit of geography right now, I am about like just over an hour from the Quebec border in Canada. Um, and my favorite hockey team is in Quebec. So I'd like to think I know a little bit of something. Um, I pronounce it as Gilbert because I'm pretty sure there was a ice hockey keeper in like the seventies or eighties named Gilbert or something like that. So that's what I kind of go off and it a little bit different spelling, but I'm pretty sure that it's Gilbert. I'm pretty sure he won't kill me if I play the video on air of what he sent me. <laughs> Um, of the pronunciation so uh, without further ado this is under a gaslit lamp so you'll have heard him on the podcast they've got two podcasts they've got the the aston villa podcast aston villa women's podcast and we came as aztecs um listen to this he's french i've covered a lot of french canadian players like hockey players in my day so g-u-i-l-b-e-r-t is gilbert it's not wilbur it's not Wilbier. You don't have to put swag. You know what? I wanted to uh I wanted to hit him. I wanted to punch him through a video <laughs> after that. <laughs> but no, he's he's more than likely right. And uh I guess I'm saying Will Bear because uh funnily enough, uh I've got French heritage. Ooh. So I think I can get away with well, it. See okay, how about we just end this discussion by saying well basically having, I should say, Gilbert actually say how he pronounces his name. I think that would just end it. <laughs> would it be as simple as yeah, that? <laughs> Cole, do you think you can use your uh, your reputation to uh, record, get a voice clip? Oh, for you? sure. Why not? I, I get a me- one meme yeah. made of myself by you and uh, people commenting on my girlfriend's mom's cooking skills. So, um, yeah, my influence is great. So why not? I can, I'll give him a call after the pod. Yeah, you shoot your shot, man, because I think you got a good chance of it. But without, you know, any further ado, the reason we're speaking about our Freddie is because he had a good game. I think um, out of all the Villa players you could look at, I think Tyrone Mings certainly bounced back after a mistake. Um, but I don't know how to say his name now. We'll, Gilbert, yeah, I guess. We'll, we'll go with that. <laughs> yeah, we'll just go with that. We'll just go with that. I think um, out of all the Villa players, I think he did a decent enough job in the first half of containing Raheem Sterling. And Sterling, of course, is a force of nature. You're not going to contain him for 90 minutes. Going off that first half, our right back did a good enough job. And I think our defence on the whole in that first half did a really good job. That can't keep up for 90 minutes, Carl. No, it's one of those things where we can even go all the way back to the start of the season. You look at the Spurs game, you're just getting overloaded, overcrowded. They're holding the ball. So you're just spending a lot of time and stamina, essentially just closing down gaps and chasing them. And with that being said, you can only hold on for so long. And to point out with Gilbert as well. superb first half definitely and I thought honestly he was one of the best players on the pitch from a fellow perspective offer something different can definitely get the ball forward when needed um didn't really have too much too many concerns with him um we'll touch on angles maybe in a second here because I thought he was probably the worst defender in the game but no I was really happy with him and I think we also have to give some uh, some credit to uh, big Tyrone because we're skipping a little bit forward, but he made one heck of a goal line clearance. Yeah, I think when we discuss the second half, the second half is all, all we're really going to discuss because the first half, good for Villa. It was bore in terms of discussing and analyzing. It was boring. It was nothing. It's defensive. It was defensive yeah. for good reason. And um, Villa didn't have a whole lot going on. I think Douglas Louise got through, and there were shouts for penalty. I, 
I was I wasn't up in arms, Carl, when he went down. No, it wasn't a penalty. Like I think they the the amount of times they replay things now on TV because of VAR is ridiculous. Like you'll probably see it about twenty times, so you feel like you could call in and give the opinion. But um, no, the I can't remember the Man City uh, player that ended up challenging him for that ball, but he got the ball like well before. And I think there was another Man City player that came in from behind, but. The, the, there was no contact there was nothing really to be concerned about I think it was made up uh, to be something that it wasn't and I guess with that being said that was probably our uh, best and really only chance of the first half that I could really think about yeah I think Louise when he got through I initially I wasn't up in arms but when the, the replay makes it look worse right the replay, the slow motion action replay is always going to make it look worse in slow motion it looks like he was cleaned out but when he was running in full motion, did he really have possession of the ball? I mean, it was close no. to going in, but he didn't have full control. It wasn't like a striking chance was cruelly robbed of him. It was just momentum. Momentum carried him away. And I think it was cleared out, absolutely. But in terms of, was it a foul? No. And I think, you know, as far as VAR goes, I do want to give defences the benefit of the doubt because it'll be a pointless position soon. It's going to be, you know, if you touch a, a, a striking player, an attacking player, and they go down, it can't always be a penalty. Yeah, there has to be a rule. Broken. Oh, exactly. It's it's crazy because like any time, and um, I was just watching some of the games today because obviously we're recording this on a Sunday. Um, Any time even a player set, like puts a claim up for handball, the referee checks it now. Like, shouldn't it be the referee's choice to check that or not? Like, you know what I mean? It's just, it's almost like, oh, the player makes the claim. So then I have to go check it because I'm going to second guess myself. Like, it's just, there's no confidence in the referees. Like, it's clear and obvious. Yeah, I think, again, it has to be a clear and obvious foul for VAR to be used. So, I mean, if we're disagreeing about this Douglas Louise foul, it's not clear and obvious. It's subjective. So VAR cannot intervene. If the referee blew at the time, there'd be no, I don't think you'd be complaining too much. I think uh, Manchester City would probably voice their concerns. Um, but we'd take it. But then if it was on the other foot and Gabriel Jesus went down because of the, in the same situation and uh, VAR, well, he awarded the foul there and then, we'd be an up in arms because it was a completely subjective thing. And I guess that's what falls into the referee's remit. But then again, enough on that because there, there is a bigger VAR thing we've got to talk about again for like the third week <laughs> in a row. Um, Douglas Louise, though, in general, Cole, he's been called up to the Brazil national team before this match based on his you know, stellar performances for the Brazil youth team, a team he captains. This is an incredible, incredible moment for Aston Villa fans because Douglas Luiz, if he plays in November against, I think it's Argentina or South Korea in a friendly match, he'll be the first Aston Villa player to, to wear that, that uh, yellow and green shirt, the Samba shirt, the legendary shirt. That's, that's great because... It's not something obviously we've never seen before, but like even aside from the international call up, how comfortable did he look yesterday? Like I thought obviously he came from Man City, so he's trained a lot with those players and is familiar with them. But he looked so comfortable and honestly, you you could see him easily walk into that Man City side yesterday, in my opinion. Yeah, I think there's a lot of focus on him being a holding midfielder or an anchor man where I think he's a bit more like McGinn and he likes to drive forward. I think he had the most dribbles of our team yesterday, Cole. So it shows that you put him in a more advanced role, like Conor Harahan. He's going to succeed. And I think he has earned the start. And I mean, he probably won't play against uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers midweek, but he'll be starting against Liverpool, I'm, I'm pretty sure. And he's earned that, Cole. Oh, absolutely. Uh, didn't really put a foot wrong. Did everything that he was essentially asked to, except, of course, um, that penalty shout that you never know, I guess, could have led to a goal if the uh, referee was completely blind. Uh, but no, I don't know really what to say about the guy because it's his place to lose. Like, I feel bad for her hand, but at the same time, there's a difference in class and a difference of skill there. And uh, currently, as much as I do love Connor Herhan, it's the, the gap is too much. Yeah, I think the best thing about this, though, it's that you can never write Harahan off, and he seems to always get better in these moments, Cole, when a player will come in and take his place. He always comes back stronger, so competing with Douglas Louise for this position is really the best thing for him. 
Yeah, and that's great too because, like you said, you want competition in the squad. So with that being said, that can only make our squad better and it makes it interesting because I think one of the things I enjoy most is trying to predict the starting 11, which this year is pretty easy, um, maybe with the odd one or two changes. But no, that's great for the midfield. I think um, if you would have said maybe six months ago that her hand would even be in the picture, a lot of people probably wouldn't even agree with us so uh with that being said we will we'll see him again i i assume we'll see him midweek but uh yeah it's interesting to see for sure yeah i think we'll come on to that wolverhampton wanderers game midweek um well after we're talking about Man- manchester city after we finished our discussion of this match um but yeah cold we'll move on to the second half the first half was a. Uh, much should do about nothing really i think we all got our hopes inflated um but they were quickly burst and when raheem sterling scored um this was a straight kick from the back edison um, absolute weapon of a goalkeeper that kick he's got oh, it's, it's incredible it's a booming accurate kick and i mean you say route one football and it is but it, it's a thing of beauty because this ball comes out the air and i don't know how tyro mings gets beat by gabriel um, Jesus, I can't even say his name now. I'm worried about my my pronunciations. I'm really worried about like messing it up. But no, um, Gabriel Jesus beats Tyrone Mings to the ball, and he's like five eight, which is like a foot inch shorter than me. And he beats Tyrone <laughs> Mings to six five. He is massive to this ball. He leans into him, beats it, and the whole Villa defense assumes that Mings is going to clear it, so they give position up to Sterling, who walks his through and scores. Yeah, um, I think it was a massive switch off. And I think we've seen that a lot. And that's why, um, well, I, I think before that goal, the Sterling goal, I think we've conceded something like 11 goals in the second half. So that'll chalk it up to 14 now, which is definitely a concern because, um, well, really, aside from the Brighton game last week where we switched it on in the second half, and of course, there was a man advantage. We just, I don't know what it is when we come out with the second half. We just don't look up to it. Um, the pace is completely off. And, uh, to really have that much confidence in Mings, obviously, is great to see. But at the same time, switch on, pay attention, give Jesus the benefit of the doubt, and essentially we didn't, and it cost us a goal. Yeah, um, it was all over from there, really. I don't think Villa with Villa's game plan, we weren't getting much attacking chances, um, and that was fair enough. You can't do much against Manchester City yet. Defend and break. When that ball came in, Cole. It was so quick. It was it was pretty brutal. As we've already discussed, we were doing other things. And that goal happens. I think the controversy really stems from the second goal, which is a Kevin De Bruyne and free kick is uh, whipped in. It goes, it beats everyone. Well, apparently it beats everyone and it goes in. Um, Raheem Sterling breaks through. Um, on De Bruyne's kick, he's onside. But David Silva gets a touch on the ball. And when he touches the ball, Sterling, of course, as he strayed from the line, is in an offside position. The rule of offside is if you're a player who can, you know, potentially obstruct the play, if you're involved in it, whether you're, you know, blocking the keeper's view or doing something else that involves you in this this goal, you are you're offside. The goal is offside, and Raheem Sterling was from an offside position obstructing Tom Heaton's view when David Silva touched the ball. The referee's not to blame for this, call, I don't think, because we're talking nanometers here. We're talking the slice of a stud on a ball creating a new offside line. However, after the game, the goal was given to David Silva. During the game, David Silva appealed to the referee for the goal to be awarded to him. Thus, ironically, if the referee had listened to David Silva, the VAR check should have written the goal off but it didn't it was a forensic check for about two minutes and it didn't write the goal off because it assumed that david silver hadn't touched the ball you know what's crazy listening to you explain that and like i saw it real time i'm still confused like <laughs> it's it's just the they, they contradicted themselves completely first thing obviously you broke it down with the de bruyne thing i it still doesn't even look like this um silver even touched it so with that being said, okay, and then you have them switch it after, and it's thinking, okay, then it's definitely not a go- I, There's there's no consistency, and I'm thinking you have a literally officiating room that makes these decisions, and they can't even make the decision. Like, uh, it, it, it's it's getting really frustrating. It's a season of VAR. Maybe we have to make like a special hashtag for this. Something about VAR and Villa, <laughs> like because it is brutal. Like it's almost every game now. 
or and it's not just Villas. I'm not going to say we're the only ones getting screwed over here. Uh, there's just there's no uh, consistency between the referee and this VAR room VAR room because look at the decisions giving made. I mean, you had one apparently um, in the Arsenal game against Palace. I haven't seen it. I'll probably go look after we finish recording this, and I'm sure that's probably a shocking call as well. You can see people on Twitter just absolutely losing their mind, and I can only imagine, especially we've heard it from you, how bad it is at the game. Yeah, it's uh, the communication is awful. Um especially when it's your team that have scored because you've celebrated and then the other team gets a moment of celebration when that goal's rolled out. It's a, it's a really annoying thing. And I think what a point I want to come on to, because we know this goal was offside now. We know that this goal was not legitimate because an independent panel away from the Premier League, who the, the panel that decides on you know, the goal scorers, when, they, when it's right to challenge who was the goal scorer, they awarded it to David Silver after reviewing the footage. So he got that, that smallest of touches on the ball. When he touches the ball, it creates a new segment of play, Cole. And in that segment of play, Sterling's offside. So it there we go. It drives me nuts. It, oh, like, well, fair enough. We would have lost anyways. Let's be realistic. But still, like, call what is wrong and what is right. And like, for once, I would just like to see everyone from an officiating standpoint on the same page because they're not and they never are and oh my god i maybe we should switch topics because i feel like i could rant about this for like 20 minutes well it'd be a minor switch of topic call because this goal right villa would have lost the match anyway i'm not we're not going to dispute that they would have got hammered um whether this goal was ruled out and they conceded another four or whatever they'd have lost the game the fact is this goal shouldn't shouldn't have stood off, off offside isn't subjective you know, the referee couldn't make that call because no one, the referee can't see that. It's only VAR can see that. So that's why it's used. It fails on the subjective call. And what I want to talk about, Cole, it is a VAR thing, but it's more so to do with Aston Villa because when these calls are made, every time Aston Villa are involved in a VAR call, it deflates them. You can see it's like a visual gut punch that this team is not the same one after VAR is used. Not the same one at all. Yeah, that that kind of makes me wonder if I I don't doubt our leadership on the pitch, but at the same time, it makes me wonder: uh, do we have enough heads on there on the pitch at this any given time that are switched on? Because the fact that the player's emotional stance can change that quickly is insane. And even though it's Man City, we've seen it against other teams this year where. Obviously, uh, you look at the West Ham, the the nil nil result there. Was it nil nil? I'm trying to remember now. God, um, yeah, it yeah, was, yeah. Okay, um, I, I feel like I should have a nap. I don't know. It's just one of those sleepy Sundays, um, and I'm sure you feel the same way with your throat. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> no, it's just one of those things where uh, it just I, I don't know. the The mentality seems to sway um, one way to the other way too easily, and I think especially for this season and how up and down it's going to be, that's kind of a concerning thing for me. It's again, it's just, I don't know if it comes down to leadership. I just think that VAR, it's almost like this greater power coming from above and just playing around with the results and changing things. And I don't think Villa are at all comfortable with that. I think, you know, you can take a, a, a normal goal on the chin. There's no delay. You don't have to dwell on it. You go straight into the game. You go straight into your instincts again. When VAR is used, there's a delay. You're, you're dwelling, you're pondering, you're thinking about how hard this situation is now. You're thinking about the fact you're two goals down. You're not getting involved into the game straight away. I think, you know, if you are to get into, involved in the game straight away, you're, you're using more of your instincts. You're not dwelling. You're, you're being in the moment, really, and not thinking about what's gone on. So I think VAR, hasn't helped Villa that much at all. And, I, I, you know, it doesn't exist to help Villa. It exists to make fair decisions. But I guess the argument's there, Cole, that Villa haven't benefited at all from this. No. Um, have we even had one go our way? I, I'm trying to think, and I can't think of one. I'm trying to think of a major VAR call that's went our way. And, uh, well, this is the second game in a row. Apart from the fact... It, it, che- it checks every game. It checks every goal, sorry. Every game. Every goal is checked by VAR. So I guess the goals we've scored, technically our VAR going for us, but in these big decisions, when there is a delay, I think it would be close to a hundred percent record of against us. The luck isn't on our side in that sense, but I guess maybe if we're looking at it on a holistic view of the whole season so far, I guess we've been pretty lucky because we've had about a million red cards. So <laughs> for the other team, every so. Yeah, we've had. There's plenty of uh, red card decisions that's gone against us, and I think uh, 
Fernandinho's one is a, a funny one because uh, I mean we're skipping ahead here, but this was a, a completely pointless red card. He drags Keenan Davis down and he's already on a yellow. And uh, speaking of red card decisions, could Jack Grealish have been sent off? I mean, his first foul when he beat Raheem Sterling in a straight run, that wasn't that shouldn't have been a yellow card in the first place. But I think there were a few challenges after where I was thinking he could have picked up another yellow for that very easily yeah um if i'm touching on the first one that's a terrible call and that's the referee 100 percent. like that's he catches up to him t-rex arms just falls down he's like leaning his body into him and falls over because sterling is making the contact like come on he's literally going to fall down because he's in he's preparing for it and i don't know how many times the referee obviously he doesn't see it over and over again like we do at home um and maybe if even if you're there it's on the big screen or something like that but um, it's another one of those things where you're looking at and thinking, how unlucky can we be? Because that gets called and then a few other challenges go by. I, I can't remember. There's one in particular where um, he went down and then I think he was like holding on to, I can't remember whose boot it was or their leg. Maybe it was Silva's or somebody. Yeah. Um, that could have been one there. Um, personally, I would have taken him off probably around the 60th minute because there's a few instances I'm thinking, Ugh, what, like, do we want to lose him for this? And of course, we'll probably touch on it a bit later here. He, uh, he apparently was seen walking off with a, I don't think it was with a boot, but he was uh, limping a little bit and everyone can kind of see it. So that's a concern in itself. Yeah. So that first Sterling challenge, I think it goes to the fact that referees, you know, they don't have to flag everything. You know, I don't think Sterling dived. I don't think Jack Grealish fouled. I think it was just a collision of two bodies and momentum. They clashed for the ball. The ball ran loose. You don't always have to blow for a foul. Just just let it go. I think any time a referee exactly. sees two players run into each other, they have to flag. It's 50-50. This could have went for Villa as well. They could have went, oh, Sterling went into Grealish. It's a yellow card for Sterling. Kick off. And I think that would have been wrong as well. Oh, that would have been completely wrong. And I, to book even to book Sterling for diving, I don't think it was a dive. I think he just fell into him. He was looking for a foul, but it's not always as we know with Grealish, looking for a foul doesn't equate to diving and uh, conning the referee. But you know, I digress. That's enough talk of refereeing decisions for now. Um, Manchester City score a third goal um, for UK uh, Gundogan. He does this slight karate kick and gets it through. Um, Raheem Sterling's holding onto Nakamba and stopping him getting to it, but I think it's conscientious. It's, you know, he's contentious. That's a foul in the first place. It's three uh, 0 to City, and the game is uh, it's done, Cole. Yeah, it's it's crazy to think though. Like even at one nil, how um, turned off most Villa fans were. Like if I looked on Twitter, like I don't know how many tweets is on a row, like game over, all done, whatever. Just like keep the score line down. And uh, you know what, if we're looking at this on an overall basis, what's, what's look on the greener side of things. At least we didn't lose nine mm. nil like Southampton. That's a positive. <laughs> yeah. I, I think the big fear was would get trashed because Man City are on an elite team. They're capable of tearing teams apart. Watford have seen it. You know, there's teams that have beat, Manchester City, Wolves beat them, Norwich beat them, but it seems more like you know, the exception than the rule. If, if a season was 100 games long, I'm pretty sure that Manchester City, on in this current regime with these players, would win it every time. They'd come out as winners if it was a 100-game average because, you know, this team is built for averages. They are, you know, superior to, to any other team. It's just the luck of the draw sometimes that you know, takes points away from them. But, you know, again, I digress. Uh, we go to Villa's flaws. They didn't offer anything, Cole. And, I mean, this doesn't come just come down to Wesley. Um, I think we'll, we'll speak a bit more about him in a bit. But Villa up front offered nothing. I think McGinn was our furthest forward player. Um, Douglas Louise was seemingly the only person to get into scoring positions. Trezeguet, bless him, hustle and bustle, not a lot of uh, end product. But, again, these players... It was few and far between when they made a scoring Yeah, chance. I think we do have to mention that McGinn hit the post uh, near the very end, so it would have been anything but a consolation. That was a little bit of a, a mad sequence and unlucky for him. I think the main thing going forward that I've noticed, and it's been a constant thing throughout the whole season, is I don't know how many times you see Grealish on the ball, and then everyone just kind of like runs away from him, and it's like, well, where's his support? And then you, he has to put in that extra yard and that extra effort to really even make the simplest thing because players aren't giving him the support he needs. I've seen that too many. And especially today, it was just isolated, isolated issue after isolated issue. And 
Um, the other thing with Wesley as well, I, in my opinion, like, of course, you're going to get frustrated when you're not getting support and when you're basically just the only man up there and it's not going your way. But in my opinion, he this game didn't suit him. This formation doesn't really suit him that well either. And I don't know, he just didn't really look up for it. Yeah, so Wesley, I think the big criticism here, and you see a lot of people saying he's lazy and that he's got a bad attitude. And I'm not sure I see that, Cole, because you, you do see him pressing, but it's just at the wrong times. Like he all press when the whole team is settling off. And when the whole team are pressing, he's settling off. And I think Manchester City's midfield had far too much of an easy time without him. He was dropping deep, right? So he's not going to always be the focal point. But when you're dropping deep, maybe you can hassle the midfielders, the defensive midfielders. Maybe they don't have to have an easy time. And I think they had an easy time because he, you can just be a body. Sometimes you can just be a body blocking off a passing avenue. That's all you need to do. And he wasn't even capable of doing that. And it, it does make me question how well he fits in right now. I have absolute look. He's 22. He's a big money signing. He's had a, you know, a tough background. He's had all manner of adversity. You know, he's had kids at a young age. So look, he's completed and got through a lot, (laughs) much more harder situations in his life than playing up front for Aston Bloody Villa. But against Manchester City, he wasn't the right fit. Um, Keenan Davis, I know he was playing against tired legs, but we just seem to be have a bit more burst about us, Cole. Yeah, I think the big difference here, and a lot of people pointed out yesterday, and uh, not to credit myself too much, but I've probably been banging on it since the start of the season, is even when Wesley's holding it up, it's just once he gets it, he doesn't really and he's still young and we'll give him that kind of excuse too and he's still learning the trade in this formation and this team and stuff like that uh, he, this hold up play just seems like when he gets it he doesn't essentially know where to always put it and then you see keenan davis come on and the confidence is there clearly the hunger is there the hold up play is excellent and we even created the odd little kind of half chance here and half chance there and essentially that gives us more hope but I think that begs the question for obviously the cup game and then further on with Liverpool, does Davis deserve to start? I'd say, yeah. I mean, he was going to start the cup game against Wolves anyway, but against Liverpool, this is a similar circumstance as as was Manchester City. This is an elite team, an attacking team, a team that will tear other teams apart. Why not? I mean, Keenan Davis, just give him... It's, a, it's going to be another nothing game. And again, with full respect to Aston Villa and full respect to Liverpool, this is a game that we are prepared to lose. Like, this is Liverpool. This That was Manchester City. These are games not many teams pick up points. Liverpool, I think, as of now, as of recording, Cole, haven't lost a single game. And their only draw was against Manchester United, you know, in a, a rivalry match. And they, they beat Tottenham today. So, yeah, they're still unbeaten. They come to Villa Park un, unbeaten. Put Keenan Davis up front because what's Wesley going to do? He's just, it's, I don't say that as a criticism, Cole. I'm saying, what's he going to do? No one else no, is going to do anything. He's going to be isolated again, and it's evident. And you can see, especially for him, his confidence drops so quickly when it's not going his way. And even to point out, even the Norwich game, he got two goals. But there's instances even there that he seemed like he wasn't even that confident. He definitely is a, like a flair confidence player in that perspective. Um, but yeah, you did point it out well, because now I'm thinking, and this is kind of going off topic a little bit and going ahead. I'm kind of starting to think maybe you split it between Kaja and Wesley for the Wolves game and then give Keenan the the uh, Liverpool game. Because with that being said, I, th- I think he definitely deserves it. Yeah, I think maybe that is the the bigger reward for Keenan is starting in the league rather than starting in a cup tie. But again, this cup tie seems a bit more important now. Um, now that we seem to have got a bit about us, now that we are performing, you know, fairly well, we picked up a few wins. It looks like this cup run could be a promising thing. But Cole, I think we've got one more thing to speak about about Manchester City, and that is Tyrone Mings. I mean, he commits a mistake um, by letting Jesus beat into the ball. Um, he runs into Tom Heaton, but there's two times he makes a mistake. He bounces back incredibly well twice. One incredible block. He's acting as the goalkeeper when Engels um, drops the ball and lets Sterling through on goal, and Tyrone Mings blocks it with his knee. The second one, he ru- Tyrone runs into Tom Heaton. It's a, a mix-up. Um, Jesus gets the ball, he chips it in, and Tyrone's there to show it off the line. You know, when he makes a mistake, he's not letting them define him, which is an excellent attribute to have. Oh, exactly. He, uh, it's a defender we've needed for years and years. And the confidence to, in the, I guess, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? The persistence to say, 
and acknowledge that, yeah, I made a mistake, but I'm going to make up for it right away. That's great to see. Um, definitely bailed out angles because that was an easy goal if no one was there, um, even with Heaton getting a good chunk of the ball there. Um, I, don't, I don't know really how to describe it because even though we lost 3-0, you have to look at him and you think he stands out as someone who could be, in my opinion, in the top six, six the way he's playing this year. Yeah, it's a ball playing centre back. They're hard to find. Um, you know, in Manchester City, without without the centre backs they have, you think Tyrone would get in ahead of Fernandinho at the very least. But I mean, that still makes him what third, fourth, fifth choice at that club. But yeah, the argument's there to had. Well, how much do you think he's worth now? I would say it would be at the very least. 30 million so yeah i was thinking more the way things are going and the, how much mcguire was i think that was inflated just because it's united and they'll pay over the odds but i'm thinking at least like 40 45 the way the market is either way the high bar of course is mcguire's fee which was uh just odd million so you know yeah we, how look these players are wanted though aren't they it's not a it's not a uh a statement about the quality of mcguire it's just that is the fee they pay, but they could have got Tyrone Mings fairly similar. Probably Maguire may be a little bit better in some aspects, but I think he could have got him for like 26 30. Yeah, I think we got a steal though. Like, so many people slated him, and we've talked about this before, I know, but so many people slated him saying that's way, way too much. And if you look at it now, it was an absolute bargain. Yeah, I'm very happy with how that deals went because I think you have to spend in those key areas. And look, Engels is very good and he had a bad game against Manchester City, but look how cheap he was as well. Like, he's fairly similar to Mings. And what was that, like 8 million, 9 million? Yeah, something like that. So yeah, I mean, we picked up bargains wherever teams are spending. And I'm, I'm pretty happy with that guy. And Tyrone Mings held himself incredibly well against Manchester City. Look, he could have given up, but the rest of the team were falling apart. But I think he maybe inspired... Aston Villa a little bit by not giving up and barking those orders out and not letting that mistake shake his confidence. So fair play to Tyrone Mings. And I think that is a good point to go into match balls, Cole. Um, Danny gave his to Jack Grealish, I believe. Yeah, yeah. So mine, I'm, I'm in a, f- a few minds here. I think Trezeguet could be in for one. He wasn't the best finisher. You think so? Um, some... Some of his efforts were in quite, you know, they were a calamity. Um, but I think in terms of attacking output, he was probably the only player worth anything up front. Uh, but I am going to have to give it to Tyrone Mings. That's fair. Why is that, though? Why is that? Because, you know, he stood, he stood tall after making an error. He didn't let them define him, as I've said. Um, he he created another mistake, bounced back from that immediately. Um, he leaves that game with his head held high, and I think impressive display. Yeah, well, that's fair enough. I just wanted to hear your reasoning, so <laughs> I'll <laughs> grill you even though you're sick. Um, if I'm going to say mine, I was kind of stuck between two, but I think I'm going to go with Douglas Louise. Um, I think it's fair to say that he was probably one of the most, the shining light going forward, even though I thought uh, Grealish had a decent game. Um, and just didn't really have a lot of outlets to make it look like he was having that great of a game. But no, Louise, I don't know how many times going forward, seems so confident and comfortable. And even though it's a 3-0 result with no goals in it and uh, nothing for really to him sh- for him to show, um, yeah, I'd have to give it to him. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. Um, Douglas Louise in his homecoming against Manchester City grabs your match ball then. Um, I think we're going to move on to a short preview then of that midweek game against Wolves. Um, I'm not sure what to expect of this. And there's a number of reasons why. A, it's a cup game. So any averages and stats and any prediction material that we would usually use, goal, go out the window because anything can happen in a cup game. What's more, this will be a rotated Aston Villa team. It'll also be a heavily rotated Wolves team. They've had to play Newcastle. They drew 1-1. They were in Black Bratislava just a few days ago. So they've had plenty, plenty of games over the last few days. So again, they've got a Premier League match coming up on the weekend like we all have against Arsenal. They're going to have to rotate heavily, so we don't know what team will play. Plus, Willie Bolly is out injured. So again, a lot of rotation in this team. It's going to be very hard to predict 
they're bringing a lot of fans. They're bringing, I think it's above 5,000 fans to Aston Villa, which is, that's a big crowd for a, for a game. Um, it usually happens in cup games, but this is a derby match. This is Aston Villa versus Wolves. We haven't played since the 4-1 game in Steve Bruce's time at the club. It's uh, a complete revolution for both teams. Wolves now competing in Europe, Aston Villa under Dean Smith. I think the momentum call is with Aston Villa heading into this one. Yeah, I would agree with that mainly just because Wolves haven't had that great start of a season. You can tell where their focus is, and that's clearly on their Europa League this year. Um, and fair enough, they have the squad, definitely the starting squad uh, to do it with uh, Jimenez in there, especially uh, someone to look out for. And even um, with a VA or shout, I think twice was it the week before, so he could have had a hat trick there. Um, it's not going to be your Brighton fixture where they're playing kids, but it, of course it'll be highly um switched around and we'll see a lot of changes there but i think it's also fair to point out with the scheduling thing james obviously they play us on the wednesday then they play arsenal on the saturday and then they go thursday again and brought us uh, against slovan bratislava yeah so i'm first of all i'm glad i pronounced that right because looking at that i'm thinking oh god i'm gonna butcher that and second of all that's one heck of a schedule yes yeah, so they had um bratislava last week they had Newcastle. So on the Thursday, they're away in Bratislava. Then they're away at Newcastle today. Then they're away at Aston Villa. Then they're away at Arsenal. I completely forgot about that. Yeah. And then they play Villa again after the Bratislava game. So yeah, thanks mercifully for them. That's on a Sunday. So at least they get an extra day's rest from that Bratislava game. But that is one hell of a schedule. And that is a, for Wolves' depth, that is a crippling schedule. I mean, you, you've earned, they've earned it, certainly. But that cup game, it looks like, look, Wolves can compete for the League Cup. But I think a decision has to be made how many tournaments you want to compete for. And I think they're not Manchester City, United, Liverpool, or Arsenal, who have a, a deep stack of reserves. They have quality and depth, but it's quite, it's, it's, it's shallow. It's, it's not top six depth. They can't rotate that much. So I think... I mean, this is pretty cynical of me. I think this is the this cup game. You'd, you'd feel the kids. Yeah, that's that's fair enough because they clearly didn't buy as probably as many players as they wanted in the summer with as much quality because, of course, their quality for the starting eleven and even some of those subs were pretty high. Um, I'm going to check here in a second here, uh, maybe when you're talking. I want to see, do you know where they are in the Europa League in their standings and their group? Are they second? Uh, well, they beat Bratislava. Yeah. So it's Group K. They beat Bratislava, and that was a uh, a pretty tough match. I think there was a lot of background to that match where Bratislava had a uh, a ban because of uh, racism, yet they managed to fill the stadium through a loophole. So um, they did win that match, which, of course, gives them three points in the Europa League. In Group K, so it's quite a deep stack of groups. They're second and behind Sporting Brava. Braga and ahead of Besiktas and uh, Slovan Bratislava. So they've had, they, they've picked up the points, two wins, uh, one loss. I could see them heading through as top of that group. Yeah, I think if they beat Bratislava again, and this isn't a Wolves preview in the sense for their, their season, and I feel like that's what some people are probably thinking right now. Uh, but no, you got to think if they win that Bratislava game, they're on nine points. You're basically through at that point, uh, looking at their group. So that's where their focus is. Um, it's going to be a weird one because if you look at the Villa perspective, James, who do you think we need to field? We're going to field, again, it's going to be rotation because what we've done in the Carabao Cup is A, let these deep players start like Conor Harahan at the start of the season, Henry Lansbury, Jed Steer would let our, I guess, reserves or our B team, with all due respect, start the, these games. Um, but I think we also let our new signings start and find their feet. And the Kamba, of course, started against Crew and had a, a brilliant game that kind of brought him into the team. And we've all realised how actually good he is. I think we will see Wesley start, like you said, because I think he is going to drop to be that second striker for a bit until uh, until something happens there, whether he can get back in or, you know, Keenan Davis does good. I think Wesley will start. We'll see Jed Steer. Um, we'll see Lansbury. And maybe. We we won't see Grealish at all. Grealish has to stay out of this one, uh, based on the fact that he left uh, the Manchester City match quite sore. But I think we'll see possibly McGinn. I think they'll give McGinn a full game. 
Yeah, I, don't know. I think that's smart. What do you think? Because it's a game we want to win. Because we know we can be safe in the league. We know we can compete. We know we can uh, beat teams. We can. We know we can pick up points. So I think there is an eye on this cup now that we've progressed. Can we go all the way? To go all the way, we have to beat Wolves. And that means we have to start making serious choices with our team. We can't just field a complete rotation. Yeah, no, exactly. Of course, you're going to probably see someone like Kahn's in there as well. Uh, Neil Taylor might pop in as well. Her hand will no no doubt in my mind be a starter there um so that'll be interesting as well because if you think if Grealish isn't starting who's going to be that attack minded player who's going to lead in that area and who knows maybe her hand plays a little bit higher up and that's his time to shine that'd be good to see as well but I think looking at this cup run overall because it's been a while since we've had a decent cup run I think this is just something which is a great confidence booster we're looking at it thinking okay we win this we move on but at the same time, you have to look at it in the sense that we would potentially, if we beat Wolves, we'd be another Premier League side, no matter what the squad is. And it's honestly just a, a great boost going into the, the next league fixture as well. Yeah, and I think, you know, thinking deeply, I think James Chester might get a start. He played for the under-23s. He's coming back from injury. I mean, Greg Evans of the Athletic had a deep dive on him. And it looks like, he, you know, he wants to return to first-team football. He wants to challenge for a place. I think it'd be hard to beat Engels, despite his uh, kind of substandard performance. It was lower than we'd come to expect from him. But I think, they, you know, he could push for a place. He's a quality defender. And I think he could be due a start against Wolves midweek. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. And he's basically the forgotten man because i don't think a lot of people have really mentioned him from what i've seen um and that'd be great to see because uh, he's a he's a leader on and off the pitch and i read something uh maybe it was a few days ago i think where um dean smith i think was in a, a pre-match press conference saying something about um if and when um he comes back that being chester um, the armband automatically goes back to him from Grealish because even Grealish has that much respect for him and i think that enough it says a thousand words yeah you can't pay him any more respect than that and i think you know maybe this wolves game comes too soon for him but i think in terms of scheduling this would be a good match for him to come back in terms of scheduling in general cole you know what did are these two matches for wolves against villa fall in these slots where the matches they're playing around the games are more important i mean they look at that bratislava game as one they win to put them at top in the, the europa league group this one <laughs> it's a cup game it's a cup game in a tournament they might not be viewing with that much importance so I think maybe time for James Chester maybe we can risk him in this match I say risk him meaning his injury status maybe this is a game he could get a full 90 out of and I think that'd be a really good start for him to get back into the team Oh, exactly. And I think actually we have to mention I just remembered it now I think we have to remember uh, Haas as well because uh this this is his former side maybe he's gonna work extra hard to get in that team and he wants to prove them essentially how they've done him wrong by selling him you never know it's one of those storylines that even how small it may seem it it could turn out to be something there's a lot of deep storylines in this game but i think the best storyline for us cole is just laughing at our predictions after the game so i'm gonna have to take a scoreline prediction for you against wolves well, considering that I, I went 2-2 against Man City because I thought I'd be positive, I, I told uh, Nico there in the uh, Man City preview that, and uh, he, he was basically, short for words, basically said nothing. So I think that's what he thought of my <laughs> prediction. Um, so thanks, Nico. That's appreciated. Um, I'm going to have to go for a 3-1 win to Villa. reason I say that purely because I think <laughs> Wolves, obviously, like we said, are going to field a weaker squad. I think ours will still be half decent. Um, it's a big game for both sides, but our priority is this. Their priority probably isn't. And uh, yeah, with that being said, a 3-1 win. I was going to say 3-1, and I've changed that now. I'm feeling a bit more confident. Ooh. So I'm going to drop the goals a bit, but I'm going to give Villa a clean sheet. I'm going to go for a 2-0 uh, Villa Villa win Cole and I think Danny will provide his in the group chat after so we can pass that on to executive producer Trevor Hood so he can continue compiling his predictions and um, before we move on to the final bit of the show we'll talk briefly about Liverpool because I know Cole will do a deeper dive in his midweek preview as he as he has done um, for most of the season so far and um, Trevor actually tallied up the points of our prediction so far so if our prediction was correct 
throughout the season, um, he's, he's given us a point tally for where Villa would be based on those results that oh, we predicted. Jesus. And <laughs> okay, if you want to ha- have a laugh, I predicted, and mine's the funniest, right? Because I think I predicted a win in every game bar Manchester City. Uh, <laughs> I my points goal would have given Villa twenty one points, which would put them in third. Wow. Um, okay. <laughs> well, Man City have twenty two, so you can see how high I think of this Villa team. You know what, though, I don't think I've predicted a loss either. I went draw, win, draw, win, draw, win, draw, win, 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 win. <laughs> so um, I might need a minute here to tell this up, but it might be... Actually, let me look at yours as well. You know what? Our points might be really close. You've got 19. You, you predicted 19. Oh, okay. Oh, it's at the bottom. Wow, I'm blind. Never mind. Yeah, okay. uh, and Danny had a realistic 13 points, whereas Phil... I'd hate it. Yeah, it's, it, we've all fought really highly of Aston Villa. So, yeah, I think we were all proud of seeing goal. And uh, that moves us on to a Liverpool game against essentially what stands right now as the best team in the league. They're, they're so good. Like, they're so good. They could look absolutely terrible and play terrible. And I didn't even think they played that well against United. And they're still good. They're still picking up points. And that's the sign of a, a league winner. I think it's theirs clearly to lose. Um Obviously, today being Sunday, they just beat Spurs, so that's a big game for them as well. Um, I did see some something from you um, on Twitter. I think you said you wanted Liverpool to win because that benefits us or something. Am I right in saying that? Yeah. So I think in Liverpool and Manchester City, you have got two extremely emotionally charged teams. I think when we saw Man City lose to Norwich, we saw an angry Man City return from that game. The game after they lost to Norwich... They hammered Watford. And Watford aren't the best team in the league. They're still without a win. But they hammered them. They came back to make that statement. Everyone, Every time Man City emerged from a situation like this, everyone calls it a crisis. They say they've got there's a crisis going on. Man City have lost the game. Well, they lost that game. They come back. They hammered Watford. It was a vengeful display. I didn't want... You know, with, with Man City beating us, grabbing three points, if Liverpool lost against Tottenham, You've got a Liverpool team that has let that lead slip just slightly. They'd have been on uh, 25 points, so they'd have have only had a three-point lead on Manchester City, and there's slim margins in a title race. It it will be decided by one or two points. So if Liverpool drop points against Tottenham today, they'd be coming out aiming for a a resolute victory over Aston Villa. Whereas now, look, they're going to be wanting to win every game. They're going to want to go the whole season undefeated. But if there's pressure on these teams, they will perform better and they will come to Villa Park looking to destroy Aston Villa. Whereas now I'm thinking they're just going to come for the win. It might be a 3-0 win, but it's certainly not going to be an 8-6-7-0 win. And I'm pretty happy with that. Let's let's stick with that theory there for a second because it does make sense because I'll, I'll pick out their schedule here. They have, before us, they actually play Arsenal on Wednesday. That's a big game for them in the Cup. Uh, no matter how poor Arsenal do... Or, or, eh, Arsenal are doing this season, if I can get it out. Um, it's a big game for them. So that's a big one there. And then they play us. And then they play on the Tuesday. So they go Wednesday, Saturday, Tuesday. And then Man City on the Sunday after that. Now, obviously, the Man City games, a, a few games away, or a couple, I should say, that's still something they're probably having in the back of their minds. A big game against Arsenal before us. Essentially, it's... I wouldn't say it's ours for the win or it's ours to really get anything because we have to work for it and prove that we deserve that. But it might actually be the best time to face them. Yeah, I mean, this is early in the season. It's only the 2nd of November we're playing them. You've played the top two teams in the space of, you know, a week. The schedule has benefited you in the Wolves match and it's going to benefit you in the Liverpool match because they're going to want to beat Arsenal. They're going to want to win in the Champions League and they're going to want to beat. Man City the week after. Look, they've got the depth to field a strong team against Aston Villa. But I think, look, they've got the they've got the points lead over Manchester City. They don't want to let anything slip. I think a draw is a reasonable result to aim for. This is a quality Liverpool team. But again, it's at home to Aston Villa. It's at home to a good Aston Villa side that won't let anything slip. Will we be without Jack Grealish? It remains to be seen. But I think even without him, we have got a lot to offer. You know, we can have Algarzi on the wing, Trezeguet on the other side. In the middle, we can have McGinn and Douglas Louise. We don't lose a massive deal 
by losing Jack Grealish. We we did last season. Last season was a different ball game, though. We've got quality in this team. I think playing to our absolute limit, we can push Liverpool. And, you know, even if that's a goal in a 2-1 loss, that's enough for me. If we can get a draw, that'll be amazing. If we can get one more point than we expect, that'll be amazing. And I think the schedule, looking at it, Cole, it benefits us. Absolutely. And I said this before, I can't remember if maybe it was to myself. Um, No, I don't talk to myself uh, often. But um, (laughs) I think the main thing to look at at these two games, Man City, Liverpool, even if we picked up one point, most teams in the bottom half are actually know what most teams in the Premier League might even take that because that's how good these two teams are. You have to look at it this way too. Liverpool are second in their Champions League group. Uh, they're two wins, one loss. They play, I think, is it Gank next, which is their bottom of that table. Um, so that should be a given, but it's still something that they're going to have to prepare for. They're not going to want to take it for granted. They're battling on all fronts. So you'd have to say, and you never know, who knows, maybe they're the next Invincibles because you can't write this team off. They're that good. We have something we can take from it. Yeah, I think we can uh, aim for a draw call and I think that's a reasonably reasonably positive result. And in fact, to end the show, I'll be predicting a 1-1 draw between Liverpool and Aston Villa. I think it'll be hard to come by and I don't think it will happen, but I feel hopeful and I'll, that's the result I would want out of this, if not a win. Yeah, oh my gosh, now that, that's a bold show because <laughs> I went for a 2-2 <laughs> against the Men's City one and we see how that went. So, um, oh boy. It, it, it's really tough, and I know Danny's going to say we're going to lose like 3-1 or something. I'm not saying that's his pick, but I just feel like that's what he's going to say or something like that. Uh, sorry, Danny. But um, I'm going to go... I'm going to have to join you. I'm going to say 1-1 um, because it, it, in my mind, it was going to be 2-1 or 1-1. I can honestly see us getting a goal because there has been instances this season that Liverpool have just been caught sleeping, and you know what? We, we can get a goal here, and it would just be nice for the confidence thing to get a goal as well, especially a point. I think if we can take a point off Liverpool, that'll be a massive win. I don't really think it's going to happen, but it's a prediction I want to make, Cole. So I think it ends the pod, the podcast on a, a really positive note after, you know, I guess what we described as a nothing game against Manchester City. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll save you from the, the fantasy league, I guess. We won't talk about that one. <laughs> um, no, I did well. Did can you? We, can we? Yeah, let's yeah, I got fifty. I got like 55 points. What? I got 57 points, actually. So, okay, explain your team. Like, who are the big performers? So, Raheem Sterling, who I captained, got 22 points. Oh, wow. Against Villa. Uh, John McGinn only got two. But James Madison got eight. Uh, Mason Mount, five. Tammy Abraham, five. Sadio Mane, five. Uh, Roberto Firmino got two. Um, So it was Sterling, a big performance from uh, Captain Sterling. That got me my points, but 57, I'm pretty happy if that was a nice bounce back. In terms of the fantasy league card, I don't think it's very pretty. I'm currently in 292nd place. Ooh, that's, yeah, that's not good. But to be fair, I was in like the top 25 and now I am 103rd, but I don't think that's like, I don't think they've really updated the points fully because I'm sitting on 52 right now. A little annoyed because this is this is how my life goes with fantasy league this season it's just i don't know what it is i'm just not doing as well usually i'm pretty high up there not trying to be arrogant but usually i am um, because i really enjoy this kind of stuff so this was my thought process either i have one free transfer i bring in hudson adoy because i thought you know what statistically he's doing pretty well he's getting assists so clearly that's a good option six million okay i'll get rid of uh, todd cantwell because norwich can't score a goal to save their lives recently so that's one thing. The other thing, I was going to use my wild card, and I said, so I listened to the uh, FPL podcast for this app, for the Premier League app, and I thought they were mentioning uh, Harvey Barnes and Jamie Vardy. So I wrote this down on a piece of paper, Vardy, Barnes, question mark. So I had both of them in my team. I also had, um, let me see here, I'll go to the highest the team because they had a few players that I was going to pick as well. I was going to bring Sterling in as well. I was going to bring Ake in. And I think my keeper might have been Ederson. Well, how annoying is that? Because Vardy was going to be my captain. He got 40 points as a captain. So it would have been 20. Harvey Barnes got, I think, over 10 points. Um, Ederson got nine. Ake got eight. Like, I could have had probably over 100 points this week. But I absolutely bottled it. So, um, 
yeah <laughs> my decision making is poor and i think i escaped from it danny is in 25th place so he's doing all right um bad news for us because he really makes it known that he's doing all right which is very annoying but yeah i guess fad- yeah but he's the weird guy that has target in his team and it paid off he like- doesn't have him anymore he's made a- he makes changes for like uh he brought in some other defender. He got like eight points. So oh, I brought an Aka. Yeah, I'm yeah. looking at it right so what, now. How does he know? He's got an inside track on this. I think it's the trim when he gets it cut. It's it's on points, so he just knows what to do automatically. <laughs> okay, before we start talking too much about Danny's haircuts and giving his ego and inflation that it doesn't need, I think we'll end the podcast, mate. Yeah, that's fair. It's been going on for an hour. <laughs> well, yeah, we certainly don't want to talk about Danny's hair anymore. He doesn't need that confidence boost. He's he's already flying. He's flying far too hard. Only listen to this part of the podcast if we do that. So. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll see you next week after hopefully Aston Villa have prog- progressed in the cup by beating Wolves and hopefully picked up a point or maybe more against Liverpool in the league on the weekend. I've been James Rushton. You can find me at Jamie Rushton. You can find Cole at Talk Aston Villa. You can find Danny, who isn't here, at Raza Journal. And you can follow us all together at 7500 to Holt. We'll see you later and up the villa.